Thank you, Tiffany. Great guys. Thank you for being here this morning. Good morning, guys. I am uh, honored to have you here on the Super Bowl Sunday and that you face the uh, weather as such as, as, it, as it is. I'm going to ask the ushers to come right now and take our offering. And uh, if you're a guest today, if you're visiting East Point, don't feel obligated to give it all. But if this is your church, we encourage you to support what God is doing around here. And I just want to thank you. I don't know if you noticed in the bulletin, but January, we actually finished uh, in the black for the month. And that was great, especially with all the snow we've had, which definitely, yeah. Definitely affects our attendance, so thank you guys for being faithful and giving. It's uh, making a difference in lives. Uh, you may have noticed I'm in a Hawaiian shirt. Somebody said, what's up? Normally I don't pull these out until March or you know, Easter. I'm in defiance of winter right now. I'm absolutely in defiance. I'm rebelling. I, uh, I, I, am, I Take that, you groundhog. I'm not happy about it at all, so here I am. I am full of... Uh, splendor of my Hawaiian shirts this morning, but thank you again for being here. Uh, we're gonna uh, be in part five of our uh, series, and I'm excited to wrap this up today. I've been fighting something the last few days, and uh, nothing could keep me from this time with you. I'm very excited about finishing up our series, Life on Mission, by talking about our fifth purpose around here, which is to go, to go here near and far. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna ask you to turn up Matthew 28. We'll get there in just a little bit. I'll, I'll give a couple of passages before we actually get to Matthew 28, but if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, open up Matthew 28. We'll get there in just a little bit. Many years ago, I uh, lived in Southern California. I was attending Church on the Way, great church in the uh, San Fran- Fernando Valley. I, I, I was working in the banking industry. Most of you know my story. For about 10 years, I worked in banking. Part of that time was bivocational as a pastor and banker. But uh, I had grown apathetic towards the lost. And I, I came face to face with that one night when I was praying and thinking about things. And God spoke to my heart. That was an audible voice. But God said, uh, it's time to get off the couch and go love the lost. And I knew what that meant. I knew two things instantly. One is that I needed to love the people who were near me, the people I worked with in the banking industry, that I needed to love them in Jesus' name and to be Jesus like Jesus would to them. And so I needed, I needed to be more intentional about that. I, I, I knew that was very important. It was one of the things God was, was speaking in my heart about. The other thing I felt the Lord was drawing me to do was to leave, to step outside of my comfort zone and to literally take it to the streets, those who were far from me. So I did what would terrorize most of us, and to be quite honest with you, at first it terrorized me for uh, over a year, and about once, or at least once, maybe twice a week, I went to the streets of Hollywood, also known as Hollyweird, and I loved on people down there in Jesus' name. Now, uh, you need to know that I didn't stand on the street corner and preach. I didn't walk around with a sandwich sign that said, repent or burn. That wasn't, I didn't stand on one of these corners and make a big deal of myself. What I did was I started to look for people just to love them in Jesus' name. People who were in need, people who were broken, people who seemed desperate. I got to know hookers and drug addicts and homeless guys. I got to know a lady named Barb, got to know her fairly well. She was homeless. She pushed a grocery cart up and down the streets of Hollywood Boulevard most of the day. And she was mentally ill and and talked to herself more than she talked to anybody else. But I got to know and love on Barb. I would take homeless guys to McDonald's or Pizza Hut down on the Strip and buy them a meal and just love on them. I would buy a cup of coffee for prostitutes. And, and yes, I did that on a fairly regular basis. And it was always kind of interesting. You walk up to a prostitute and you know, she's expecting something different. She would say, hey, you wanna go? And I go, no, but I'd like to go get you a cup of coffee. And the first few times, I'm like, what? Who are you? What are you talking about? But as I got to know them and just love them, said, no, for real, all I wanna do is just buy a cup of coffee. I know you're out here tonight, and, and I didn't think, say it, but I thought you're probably gonna be out here all night. So let me just get you a cup of coffee to make your night go better. I just loved them. And I also gave them a card. I had, a, there was a ministry down in Hollywood, Youth of the Mission, that worked and had a woman's shelter that they took in ladies uh, to help them get off the streets and off drugs. So I just loved on people. And what happened is that I learned a lot about myself and about people in that year 
or so that I spent down on the streets of Hollywood. But the greatest lesson I learned, it's the big idea today in your bulletins on the back side of the bulletin if you wanna follow along and take notes. Here it is, if you love God, you will have his heart for those who are far from him. If you love God, if you love Jesus, if you say you love him, then you're gonna have his heart for people who are far from him. If you're a Christ follower, that simply means that you will do what Jesus did and love people the way Jesus loved them. To be a Christ follower is not just to be a Christian in name, but it's to be a Christ follower in action. That we do what Jesus did, we love the way people, the people that Jesus loved. And over and over again, Jesus pushed the buttons of the self-righteous and the hyper-religious of his day by befriending sinners, by hanging out with people that nobody else wanted to hang out with. He would go out of his way to demonstrate love and acceptance to the prostitutes, to the thieves, to the disenfranchised and the unclean. In fact, in Matthew 11, I won't read the passage, but you can look at it later. Matthew 11, Jesus said uh, that, you know, you call me a, a glutton and a, and a drunkard uh, and a friend of sinners, and, but that's who I came for. These are the people that God wants me to hang out with. In fact, when challenged about having a dinner party with a guy named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, and Zacchaeus was a cheating turncoat tax collector who was nobody liked, and when he was challenged again by the hyper-religious, Jesus said this in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, guys, I know you're upset about me hanging out with people like Zach and going to these parties and being around people like that. I know you don't like it when I touch unclean, the people with leprosy. I know that these are not the people that you would say are your people, people that you wanted to spend time with, but Jesus said those are precisely the people I came to reach. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Those are far from God. Jesus modeled a way of life for us, a way of life for us, and the last thing he said to his disciples and to you, if you are his disciple, is we're to go and make more disciples. We're to go and make more disciples. And we'll take a look at that passage in just a moment. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean you have to go to the streets of Hollywood. Sort of expecting a group sigh of relief right about there. Doesn't mean you've gotta take it to the streets, but it does mean you will need to go whenever and wherever God sends you to love others and to be his light in the world. If you are a Christ follower, if you love Jesus, you're gonna follow him and love what Jesus loved, and Jesus loves lost people. And so you're gonna go whenever you can and wherever God sends you to love others in his name. I mentioned we're finishing up the series today, Life on Mission. We're gonna unpack our fifth purpose, fifth thing on the wall, go. Go here, near, and far. And I wanna be clear about this. In fact, it's number one on your outline. Number one, God established the church. He established us, the body of Christ, the church, to carry out his work on the earth. And you, not just me, not just a select few, you are a major part of God's plan for reaching the world. God established the church. He left us here to be his hands and his feet, to do what Jesus did. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if when we became a Christ follower, we prayed the prayer, that God just, boom, took us to heaven right away. That'd be kind of awesome. I'd be up for that. But because God has such a heart for the lost, because the Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to perish, he has left us here with a mission. Our church's mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the mission of the church, capital C. That's not just something we made up. That's just something that belongs to a select few. If you belong to Jesus, if you love him, your mission, my mission, our mission is to love people, to reach people, to help people find and follow Jesus. He left the church here to do his work, to be his hands, to be his voice, to be his heart. And God's plan includes you. I know Believe me, lots of us think, well, might be for a select few or maybe pastors or people like that, but God's plan includes you. The Apostle Paul understood this reality and he said this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 20. 
He said, God who reconciled us to himself through Christ gave us, guess who is included in the us there? Us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now again, we read that, that sounds kinda weird. What's the ministry of reconciliation? It means that we have the opportunity to serve others and to point them to Jesus, to point them to a God who wants to be reconciled to them. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation and he has committed to us, again, all of us, the message of reconciliation. That is the good news. Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to be restored to relationship with you. And verse 20 says, therefore, we, again, all of us, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's a powerful verse. We represent Jesus. We're like his ambassadors. And it's as if, because it is happening, God is making his appeal to others through us. My math is right, four different times in this passage, the word us or we is used. And the point here is that God has called us, all of us. Now some may argue, well I'm not an evangelist. Okay. They well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay. I, I'm not, I don't hold the office of evangelist. Okay. But this passage makes it clear that we are all messengers. We all are called to be messengers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors of light in a very dark world. All of us have the privilege of representing Jesus. All of us do. Of helping others to be reconciled with God by grace through faith. We have that ministry everywhere we go. One of the shyest and most introverted persons I've ever known was a young girl named Wendy. 19 years old when I first met her, and extremely shy. I mean, she's just one of those people that wilted in crowds, that when I got close to her and talked, she couldn't make eye contact. She's very, talked very quietly. And I loved her, she's a sweetheart, but she was just extremely shy. What was fun for me was watching Wendy get this. Wendy began to understand that God had given her a purpose, that God had given her a plan, that God was, wanted to use her in his plan to reach lost people. Now, Wendy is never gonna stand on the street corner and scream or yell, never be bold, never be that person, ever. But what she could do, she did. She loved people. She simply began to build bridges to those around her in her world and her sphere of influence, and she loved them in Jesus' name. She understood how important it was for her to reach her friends and her family and those that God had put her in proximity to in her world. God has chosen to use us, and his plan is to use you to reach the lost. Here's the second thing, number two in the outline. Making disciples is not an option, it's a command. It is not an option. It's like, well, I think I'm gonna opt out of that. Or I don't think I wanna, you know, you buy a car, you, you choose what, what options, what packages you want. No, for all of us, this is not an option, it is a command. I had you turn to Matthew 28, look at verse 19 and 20. Jesus said this, this is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now the therefore is there because Jesus said, just before this, said all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. So what Jesus is saying is because of who I am and I've got the right to do this, I'm commissioning you, I'm sending you, I'm commanding you to go. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The command in this passage, and I know sometimes we don't like to be commanded. Uh, our culture, we don't like to be told to do anything, but the Bible, the New Testament's full of a lot of things that we, imperatives that, that Jesus said do. All the one another's in the Bible. Jesus said love one another, forgive one another, serve one another, those are imperatives. And here's another one. This is a command, and the command here is to make disciples. The command, the imperative in this passage is to go and make disciples. And it's far more than just making converts or church attenders. We're to produce followers of Jesus. 
to help people find and follow him, to fall in love with him and become like him. People commit to walk in the footsteps of the rabbi, the footsteps of Jesus. People are dedicated to following his word and people are faithful to practicing his ways. Let me say that again. Our call is to make disciples, people who are dedicated to learn and follow his word and to practice the ways of the kingdom of God. We're commanded to make disciples. The means or the methods to do so are here as well. And there are three very important words. Go, baptize, and teach. The command is go, is to make disciples. How do we do that? We go, we baptize, and we teach. Go means that we are to be active in this, not passive. Go means there's nothing passive about our mission. We go, we, there, there's, a, there's an action, there's an activity, there's an intentional action on our part. We go, and what do we do? We baptize, meaning we help people find a relationship with God and guide them into a relationship with this church. Water baptism is powerful, and we do it here on a regular basis, and our next one's on Easter Sunday, and I'm really excited about what's gonna happen that day for many of you who have not yet been baptized in water. But we baptize, and it's a way of them demonstrating that I, I belong to God, I am in his family, and it helps them get connected and folded into the community of faith. We baptize, and then the last thing Jesus says, teach. Teach, meaning that we are to instruct them to obey. Jesus used the word to obey all that I have commanded. We teach them to obey the commands of Jesus. Why? Because the goal is not just information, but transformation, life change. I said that last week. The goal is not just for you to get smarter. I want you to get smarter. I want you to know more Bible. I want you to understand more of the word. I encourage you to grow in your knowledge. But if that's all you do and you just get smarter here, then that is not a win for anybody. It's certainly not a win for the kingdom. I want you to experience transformation, not just information. It's transformation where it's life change. We go and we baptize and we teach people to do what? To obey the commands of Jesus. And by the way, I love the last thing that Jesus said here. It's incredible. Look at it again, it says, I am with you always. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. What does that mean? That means that as you and I go, we gotta remember that we're never alone that we're not going in our own strength, in our own power. We're not going all by ourselves. We're going with his presence in our midst. Jesus promised to be right there with us every step along the way. One night when I was uh, down in Hollywood, I could tell you a hundred stories. But one night, um, I don't know, this is probably a couple months into it, got into a restaurant, I don't remember who was with me, it's probably a guy that I was buying a meal for, and I walked in, the room's got 10 or 15 people in it, and it's a smaller restaurant, but across the way there was a guy, and instantly I knew, okay, this guy's got something, something's going on. And I been around it enough and figured out he's probably on PCP, he was acting weird, and he was acting very energized, and the instant, I, it's hard to describe what took place because it happened in just a matter of seconds. I walked in, I see him, he sees me, we make eye contact, and he goes ballistic. I mean, he goes crazy. He starts yelling and cursing and swearing a blue streak at me. I never met this guy before, I didn't know him, but, but he, he started yelling and cursing and swearing, I'm just it was ugly and mean. He's spitting at me, now he's 15, 20 feet away, but he's literally poof, poof, spitting and swearing. It's, it was ugly, it was gross. Everybody's freaking out because what is this guy doing? And again, as quick as it just all happened this fast, next thing he did was he grabbed a chair and he picked his chair up over his head and he starts running at me with his chair. I will never forget this image as long as I live. He's screaming at me, spitting at me, cursing me, and he's got a chair over his head as he's running at me. And then the coolest, weirdest thing on the planet ever happened. And I kid you not, I wish I had this on video. We didn't have smartphones back then. I would have grabbed it from somebody. 
But at that point, he comes at me. He's literally got the chair over his head and about to bring it down on my head. And this guy's on PCP. One of the things about that is it makes it incredibly strong. He could not bring the chair down for all his life. He is trying, you can see he's straining his muscles and he's looking and he's sweating. He's trying to bring this chair down on me and he couldn't do it. Now, I am absolutely convinced of this. An angel was standing between me and that guy. You might not believe that. I didn't see it, but I'm telling you, man, there was God. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I believe that God sent an angel to protect me in that moment. And, the, and again, it's all happened that quick. He couldn't bring it down, couldn't do anything. Finally, he just turned around, dropped the chair, and bolted. And I never saw him again. He bolted out of that room like he's being chased by God, by God, by an angel. Boom, he was gone. What I learned in that moment, and Jesus was reminding me, is that, Boobna, you are never alone, never and I tell you, since that moment, I have never been afraid. And I've been all over the world. I've been in some scary places. And I have never been afraid again. Because I remember this. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with you. You're never alone. There are many stories about Christians throughout the centuries where they have been persecuted and even martyred. Stephen's story is found in Acts chapter 7, one of the first martyrs in the church. But what you hear again and again in the great stories of the martyrs and those who have sacrificed so much in their own lives is that they were never alone. They knew that the presence of Jesus was there. God has commissioned the church. You are part of that mission. And God has said, I want you, the command is, it's not an option, the command is to go and make disciples. And here's the third thing, the last thing I want you to hear. Number three, the motivation for making disciples is love. The motivation is love. I do not want you to leave here today feeling guilty, shamed, challenged in some harsh, negative way. I don't want you to leave here today feeling, well, I guess I should tell people about Jesus, whatever. No, I want you to be consumed, driven, motivated by the love of God because the love of Jesus changes you, changes everything. One of my favorite purpose passages is found in 2 Corinthians 5. If you get your Bible, your Bible app, open to 2 Corinthians 5. And I call it a purpose passage because, again, it shows us why we do what we do and what we're supposed to do, what our purpose here is on the earth. And Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. He said, for Christ's love compels us, drives us, it compels us. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Christ's love compels us because we get the fact that Jesus died for us and he died for all men all women, all people everywhere. And he died for all, so that those, listen, so those who live should no longer live for themselves. Who are the ones that are living? That'd be us. So that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul is saying here that because of God's love for you and me, and because of the incredible sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for us, we no longer live for ourselves. You hear me say it around here on a fairly regular basis. When we become Christ followers, when we surrender our lives to him, when we say yes to him, then from that moment on, we belong to Jesus. He purchased us with his blood on that cross. He redeemed us. He bought us. We belong to him. We're now his. And it's the choice we make to say, yes, God, I, that's, the, that's what I was created for. That's what I was made for. That's what I want more than anything. But from that moment on, listen, and this is hard to hear for some of us, it's no longer about you. Well, this makes me uncomfortable. Well, I don't know if I want to sacrifice. I don't know if I can. It's no longer about you. We live for the one who died. We live. Those who live should no longer live for themselves. Instead, we live for the one who died for us and now lives for us. 
Here's something I'm absolutely convinced of. To the degree that you are filled with Christ's love, overwhelmed by his love for you. And to the degree that you remember all that he has done for you on that cross, to that same degree you'll be compelled, you'll feel compelled to share the good news with others. The reason why we talk about the love of God all the time around here, the reason why my favorite thing to remind you of is you are loved, is because when you get that and you truly understand that and you know the love of God for you, and you remember what Jesus did for you on the cross, the, incredible, the sacrifice of his own life, bearing the sins of the world, your sins on that cross, when you remember that, then it'll compel you. Paul says, for Christ, love compels us. It'll compel you. it'll drive you to share the good news with others. Most of us can relate to being driven. Uh, it's not that big a leap for us to understand this idea. If you love golf, uh, you, are, you can probably hardly wait for spring. You are driven to play golf. If you love chocolate, you probably have a secret stash of chocolate somewhere because you love your chocolate, and that's okay, I like it too. If you love pizza, then you will never, ever, ever add pineapple to pepperoni. That's just wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. You don't put fruit on pepperoni pizza. That is so sick. If you love pizza, you'll be driven to keep it pure and greasy. <laughs> My point is, guys, listen, if you love Jesus and you're a Christ follower, Life no longer is just about you. It's no longer just about you. You're driven to love what God loves. God so loved the world. The most famous passage probably in the Bible is John 3.16. Some of us have heard it so many times that we don't hear it anymore. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world, all the world, every part of the world, every nationality, every person. God so loved the world that he gave. He sacrificed his one and only son, so that those who would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting, eternal life. We need to let those words just drill deeply into our soul again, and be driven by this passion to love what God loves, and he loves the world so much that he sent his son. And that's why the Bible so consistently challenges us to live for others, to die to ourselves, and that task has everything to do with love. I could take you to another famous passage, I won't, but 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, if, if you don't have love, then it doesn't mean anything. No matter what you do, if you don't do it because of love, then it doesn't matter. And so this is where it, we are driven, we are compelled because we know love, because we've experienced love, because we are loved. We love others in his name. God established the church. You are part of the church. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He's commanded us to go, to, to, to make a difference, to make disciples. And the way we do that powerfully and in his name is we do it because we are compelled and driven by love. Nothing else should drive us to do so but love. Not guilt, not shame, but the love of God. So how do we go and where do we go? Well, Acts 1.8, here's what Jesus said again. He said, you will be, to his disciples, he said, you will be my witnesses, first here in Jerusalem, then beyond to Judea and Samaria, and finally to the farthest places on the earth. Now, people have said to me, well, I don't live in Jerusalem, I guess I'm off the hook. No, the principle here is simple. It's why we say go here, near, and far. You'll be my witnesses. And by the way, that just means that you'll tell his story and your story. Sometimes people get all freaky about, well, I'm not an evangelist, I can't do evangelism. The E word scares me. Listen, just witness, just tell what God's story is and tell what your story is. Well, what if they ask me questions about you know, creation? What if they ask me questions about Noah? What if they ask me questions about the end times? It doesn't matter if you don't know the answer. Well, here's what you, tell them what you do know. Here's what I know. God sent his son because he loves us and he wants us to love him. He wants to redeem and restore us a relationship. And I 
personally have experienced that redemption. They cannot argue with what he's done in you. You tell his story, you tell your story. That's what it means to be a witness. The first century Christians didn't know a lot of theology. That wasn't the point. Sometimes we made it so complicated. The church has got these 16-week evangelism courses and these campaigns we do to you know, reach our, our, our world for Jesus. It's just a matter of you being a witness. Tell his story. Tell your story. Tell what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to be the Bible answer, man or woman. Just be real, be true, be you. And tell his story and tell yours. But let me quickly unpack then, well, where do we go? This verse, Acts 1.18, where do we go? Well, first, it's on your outline. First, we go here. Go here to love and serve others at East Point. We go here. Jesus served, and we are to serve. And I talked about it in our third week around here. Our third purpose is to serve. We tell you, get engaged, get involved, get off the bench. A good analogy for Super Bowl Sunday. Don't, don't sit around and watch others. Get involved, get engaged, serve. Give away what God has given to you. And when you serve in Adventureland or Awana or on the Connections team or in the security team or, or helping even clean the, this building, when you serve, listen, this is what you're doing. You're making this place a safe and inviting place for people to come and find out about Jesus. You're making this place a place for others to come and hear about the love of God. And we serve here in an attitude of Jesus and the heart of, with the heart of Jesus so that we can make a difference. You're not just taking care of a kid. You're providing a place for a mom and dad to sit in here and to hear about God, to hear about the love of God. And did you know that every week, two weeks ago, we had 15 New Believers packets picked up after services. 15, every week people are making a decision to give their lives to Jesus, yeah. You make that possible by what you do, by serving. And I will never back off a challenge you to get in the game, to serve, to serve here. You serve your family, you serve here. Make this a safe place. And many of you, I challenged you a couple weeks ago, go to our website, go to the Click, Pick, Serve banner on the, our homepage, click on that, find a place to get involved, and lots of you have done that. Thank you, because you're making this place a place where the gospel can be presented and where lives are being changed for eternity. We go here to love and serve others at East Point. The second thing is we go near. We go near to your neighborhood and to your city, to our city, and to care for and to love those in need. We go near, that's, this, that's our, our Judea and Samaria. We go near, we invest in the lives of people around us, in your sphere of influence, in your world. The people you go to school with, the people you work with, your neighbors, you pray for them, you find ways to help them, you care for them, you genuinely befriend them. You don't isolate, you integrate. What a crazy radical idea, but that's the call. We get to know people in our world. We go to those who are near. We love them in Jesus' name. Now, one of the things, I ask you to pull this out right now. You got this when you came in today. I want you to grab this. Put it in your hands. Because this card is more than just a piece of paper I want you to leave in the bulletin or in your Bible or to throw away or put it in a recycling bin. Take it home, because here's what I want you to do with it. On one side, it says, this is my neighbor love list. And we're asking you to add your neighbor's names to learn more about them, to look for ways to serve and to know ways to pray. I ask you to be intentional. Where's the nearest near to you? Your family, what's the sec second nearest near? Your neighbors. And we live in a culture, guys, we live in, and especially the American culture, where we don't know the people who live around us. Flip it over to the other side. The box is there, the little you are here symbol, that's you, that's your home. That's where you live. And there are five other boxes around that. And I wanna challenge you to get to know five of your neighbors. Get to know their names. Don't just drive in your garage, park your car, put the door down, and ignore them. 
make a way. My wife has done this every place we've ever lived, and she knows all of our neighbors. She makes a point of getting to know them. She takes cookies to them. She loves on them. She invites them to play dates with my grandchildren. She knows their names. She knows their dog's names. She knows the people in their family. She knows all about them. She's getting, and she's looking for ways to love them in Jesus' name, ways that she can pray for them. And what I want you to do is find out who they are and fill in. These other empty boxes represent your neighbor's homes. You think, well, I live in an apartment. I guess I'm off the hook. Uh-uh. You've got people above you who hear them all the time. You've got people below you, you, they hear you all the time. You've got people on either side. Get to know your neighbors. Be intentional about this. And put this on the refrigerator. Put this on your mirror. Put it someplace where you're gonna see it because here's why this matters. As you get to know them, you'll fall in love with them. As you get to know them, God's love will compel you to want to be like Jesus to them. And you'll look for ways to serve them and love them in his name. Did you know, and I will not ask you to raise hands, uh, if I were though, to have you fill this out right now, do you know that at the most, at the most, 25% of you would be able to fill out all the boxes. That's statistically a reality in our country. We live in a very isolated world, very isolated country, in America in particular. Probably less than 25% even know. You might know one box, you think, I think, is it Phil or Bill? I can't remember. I'm challenging you, get to know them, because that's your near. Your first near is your family. You're the, the next near to you, and Jesus, the, we talked about it the very second week in connection. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, to do what? Love your, say it, neighbors, neighbors as you love yourself. It starts right there. Here's the third thing. You think I was passionate about the second one. Wait till you hear me on this one. Number three, go far. Go far on a cross-cultural mission trip. Here near and far. As your pastor, it is my goal to see 70% of our church go on a mission trip over the next 10 years. 70% at least, that's what I want. I will not rest until that happens. I want you to go because I know it'll rock your world. How many of you have been on an overseas or cross-cultural mission trip before? Raise your hand. Yeah, lots of you have. And leave your hands up. Did it change your world? Did it rock your world? Oh yeah. And it will change your perspective. It'll change your worldview. It'll, you go on these trips and something happens in your deep in your soul and your heart. For 10 or 11 years, we've taken teams down to Guatemala. Every year, we're taking a team again this summer. 10 or 11 years. Tracy, who's in the first service, leads our teams, and she's done a great job. And we've taken teams for many, many years to make a difference in the lives of children and families and people just like this. But what's happened over the last couple of years is that those numbers have begun to dwindle a little bit. And instead of taking a couple of teams or three teams, we've taken one. And that's not the trend I want us to be on. That's not the trajectory I want us to be on. I want us to get to the point where we've got four or five teams going and we have a waiting list where you gotta, you're, you're dying to go because you wanna go. You think, well, I'm too old. No, you're not. I'm too young. No, you're not. I don't know enough of the Bible. You'll learn. I'm not sure I can do it. I don't have the money. Listen, if I waited to have the money, I've been all over the world for 40 years. And if I waited to have the money to do these things, I never would have gotten anywhere. Some of you have never been out of the state of Washington or Idaho and it's time to go far here near, far, that's the call. I leave in two weeks, two weeks from yesterday, February 18th, I'm gonna ask you to pray for me. And I want you to know what I'm doing because this is not just me, it's us. I'm going to Kigali, Rwanda, I was there last February. I'm going back to Rwanda for three days with what's called the All Africa Pastors Gathering. And I will be with hundreds of pastors and leaders from all over the continent of Africa. And the last year, it blew my, my mind, blew my socks off. It, just, it was so powerful, so amazing to worship with these men and women who love God and love their continent. Broke my heart. It was just, it, it was, it was, it, something happened in me. 
and to see their passion for reaching their continent for Jesus. God is doing something in Africa on the continent that's powerful. I wish we had the kind of revival in our country that they're experiencing in that continent right now. And he, I met one guy from, from Togo, and he said, Pastor, and he's French, and I can't really do a French accent. He said, Pastor, I'm praying for the day that we can send missionaries to America. I said, bring it, brother. Yes. Their heart for the lost is so amazing, so powerful, and God is doing something. And I'm gonna spend three days with those pastors again. Uh, you know, most of you know that I've worked with Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, and uh, I'm one of the regional directors in the Northwest for Saddleback Purpose Driven Churches. And here's what you don't know. Some of you know this, but most of you haven't heard this yet. We've been invited now to be an IPC, an international partnering church with the country of Botswana. So I'm spending three days in Kigali, then I'm going there from there south. Botswana is a little country right above uh, South Africa. It's uh, the Arizona, so to speak, of Africa, hot, dry. Um, and I'm gonna go there, and I'm gonna spend time with these people. And here's what I'm doing. My first trip is to build relationships. And here's what's cool, with the leaders of leaders. I'm meeting with, uh, the very first day I get there, with, with the uh, 10, 11, 12 leaders that represent the three different organizations in Botswana the Evangelical Organization of Churches, the Pentecostal Organization of Churches, and the Mainline Organization of Churches. And all three of these bodies of churches, represent hundreds of churches in that country, are interested in working with, ready, here it is, us, to help them become a purpose-driven church, to reach their country, to help make disciples in Botswana. And guys, we have an opportunity. I'm the point person on this right now. I get to go and make connection, develop relationship with the leaders, with the leaders of leaders. We're gonna train them. And then we're gonna begin taking teams to Africa to help minister to those and to train their churches to be effective at reaching others for the, with the gospel. Guys, I'm excited about what God's going to do with us. Can you tell? The opportunities are amazing. We have an opportunity to not just change a church or two, in the country of Botswana, but to change the country. The, the country, hundreds of churches in that country. That God has opened a door for us. We've been invited to be an IPC, an international partnering church with the church, capital C of Botswana. And I can't tell you how excited I am about that. What are you gonna do? Will you go here, serve here? Will you go near where you live? And by the way, we're not gonna let you go to Guatemala and Africa if you can't show us that you're doing it here and near. We want you to be engaged in doing it here. Don't just go overseas and become all of a sudden a person who's sharing the gospel. Do it where you live. But let me finish where I started. And I wanna be clear about this. If you love God, you will have his heart for those who are far from him. If you love him, you cannot help but love what Jesus loves and he loves the world. And he loves those who are far from him. We're gonna get to spend eternity together as Christ followers, as believers, we're gonna have all of eternity together. My goal is to take as many people with me as I possibly can. My family, my friends, my neighbors, people in this city, people in this county, and people throughout the world. When you have his heart, then you'll begin to understand that all that we have and all that we are and all that we hope to be is for those who are still far from relationship with Jesus. God has a plan. He does, <laughs> he really does. It's a plan to reach the whole world. And it starts right here, and it's near, and it's far. And we must be compelled by God's love as we embrace his commission to go. One last story and I'm done. I wrote a blog back in uh, January on my website uh, about experience I had. Some of you read it, but let me tell you the story. I was in um, downtown with my wife, 
First week in January is cold. You know how I feel about cold in winter, right? So I'm down there, and, and I love to walk, and, and we love to walk to the parks and go outside, but not, it's too cold. So I'm walking inside through the, the, the overpass things, and we're walking around, and, and we're trying to get to my favorite little coffee pl- place down there, uh, Bruce Brothers, and to get there without walking outside, I had to go through the, the uh, transit center, the bus station. And again, re- really cold that day. And as we walked in and we walked down the steps, I looked around and I thought, oh my goodness, the place was packed. It's cold. And because it's a transit center, they don't really get too aggressive about booting people out. Uh, they, don't, they don't worry about people hanging out there. And there were a ton of people there, street kids, homeless guys. I mean, a lot of people, broken people in that place. And I'll be honest with you, my first thought was, wow, uh, this is a little scary. These people are going to lost, and they're losers. And I don't, I, my first response was not very good. It was like, yeah, my, my wife's with me. I, you know, let's get out of here as quickly as possible. I'll be honest with you. My first reaction was not the reaction that Jesus had. But in about two seconds after that, here's what God did. Oh, Buddha. And I realized in that moment, I just realized that if Jesus were there, he would have a completely different perspective than I had. In fact, what I realized is that's exactly the place Jesus would hang out. He would hang out at the transit center. He would hang out with those people. He would find those street kids. He would find the lost, the broken, the disenfranchised. He would find the people who are homeless. He would find them and love on them. And I realized in that moment that I didn't have the heart of God and I repented, oh God, forgive me. Help me to love these people. Help me to see these people the way you do. And since then, it's changed. I go through there at least usually about once a week and now I'm looking for opportunities to pray for people, to love on them, to say hi, to smile. To just give somebody, it's amazing, you smile at somebody who doesn't get a lot of smiles, it changes their world, maybe just for an hour, maybe for that day, but just to love them the way Jesus loves them. And I'm looking for opportunities every time I go through them now, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Is there a guy that looks hungry? Can I walk him over to Subway with right there and buy him a sandwich? I'm looking for ways to love them because I'm seeing them the way God sees them. How about you? Here, near and far, do you have his heart? Do you have his perspective? I hope so, I pray so. Bye, let me pray for you. Father, I know um, you love the whole world. And I know that includes our world, where we live, our family, our neighbors, where we work, where we go to school. I know, Lord, it includes this county and this country. And it includes the farthest places to the uttermost parts, Lord. And I know that you left the church here to make a difference. You left us here to be light, to be your hands, your feet, your voice, your heart. And I know, Lord, that um, I've been there. At times, it's so easy to become apathetic and to, to stop seeing the, the mission, to stop embracing our call to go. And we just get comfortable in our small little worlds, Lord, when there's people dying all around us. And they need to hear the good news. They need to hear about you. So, Lord, my hope today is that you'll get into our hearts that you'll compel us by the love of God to embrace the commission that we all have, the great commission that we all have. So change us, Lord, today. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed for a minute. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. I'm not gonna do anything to single you out or embarrass you, but I do wanna give you an opportunity. Your life can radically change right here, right now. If you make a decision, a choice, No one can make it for you. Your parents can't. 
your, your spouse can't. Nobody can make the decision for you. Only you can say yes to Jesus. And if you're here today and you realize, you just know in your know, you know in your gut, it's time. It's time for me to surrender my life. It's, I get it. Jesus died for me. He lives for me. He loves me. And then you just know in your know, it's time for you to say yes to him. And to surrender your life to his, to become a Christ follower. Then I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And if this is what you want, just make this prayer yours right now. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying on that cross for my sins. Thank you for living for me. I get it. And I, I wanna follow you. I wanna I want surrender my life to you. I want to spend eternity with you. And I want that eternity to begin right here, right now. And so I surrender all that I am, all that I have. All my past, present, future, all my sins, all my stuff, all my, it's, it's yours. I surrender to you. I say yes to you. I wanna follow you. From here into eternity, I'm yours. The word says that when you say yes to him, when you make that prayer yours, then you become his child. You're his. I know you probably have questions still. There's things you're still trying to figure out. But the Bible says that instant, that moment you say yes, you embraced him, you become his child. You're his, you're his kid. You belong to Jesus now. Lord, thank you for those who are making that decision in this room and online right now. Thank you for that. Let them leave here today knowing and deeply in their hearts and their soul they're loved by you. And they belong to you and they're yours. And you're theirs. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're gonna sing one last song. I love this song because one of the key phrases in the song is how God's love awakens us. And that's what I've been talking about today. We need to be awakened by the love of God. Let's worship together. I'll come back and wrap it up. I love the truth of that song, and that's my hope, my prayer for you, is that you'll go awakened by the love of God, to go here, near, and far. Today, if you begin your life as Christ follower, you need to tell somebody, let them know. Tell that friend or that family member, or come tell me, we wanna walk with you in this journey. It's the beginning. And on the tables by the doors, there's a plastic bag and some baskets. It's got a Bible, some material you started in your walk with Jesus, and there's a class coming up for you, and Easter Sunday with some next baptism, you need to get baptized in water. But guys, this is the beginning, help us help you by uh, getting involved and let's walk in this journey with you. Also at the information table out in the lobby, if you're a guest today and you've not got one of these, we'd just love to give you a copy of my first book and it's free and it's just about grace and that's what we're all about here. So pick one of those up as well. Prayer team would be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room. Uh, I would encourage you to come back next week. I have something special planned for you and I'm very excited about it. Uh, and begin to pray for me. I don't leave for a couple weeks, but uh, right now you can tell I'm fighting some. So pray I get all healed up and done. Last thing I want to mention is, you know, uh, last few weeks, I rooted for the Seahawks. They lost miserably. I rooted for the Steelers. They lost. And so I'm a little nervous to say, go somebody right now and root for them. But because I'm not really a Patriot fan, I'm going to say, go Patriots! And hope that maybe, maybe the Falcons will actually, is that bad? All right. I love you guys. Hey, go. Go in Jesus' name. Love you. Thanks for being here today.